singing today and open your Bibles to the book of St. John chapter 3, same place we were last week, St. John chapter 3. And I'm looking up at the clock and it says 15 to 10. Is that correct, Danny? Is that what it says? Is that what it says? Is that what it says down here? So I'm going to go with that clock. Uh, I've got 1127. Let me take my watch off so I will stay on target. This doesn't mean one thing, but I'll take my watch off. Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God, John chapter 3, and a very familiar text. I'll read just the text itself. That which is before, that which is after it is also precious, but for sake of time, let me read verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And all God's people would echo with saying, Father, bless the word of God today. Thank you for the privilege we have to stand on this side of eternity to be able to declare the message that's been declared over and over again around the world. What Nobody is immune to knowing who Jesus is. They've heard his name in many, many places. There may be some that is in the darkest place of the world that say they never heard the name Jesus. But I believe it's by the technology that we have that the gospel has been preached to the whole wide world. And Lord, I do pray that souls will be saved around the world. And when that day comes, it will be a rejoicing time when we enter into the glory world. But until then, help us to live for you and serve you. And may your will be accomplished. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There was a preacher years ago who wrote several songs in the mid-1800s, his name was Francis Rowley. And he gave us this hymn, I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me, how he left his home in glory for the cross of Calvary. Yes, I'll sing the story of the Christ who died for me. Sing it with the saints in glory gathered by the crystal sea. It ought to be on the heart of every individual a song. You know, the Bible commands us to sing. Now, I'm not a good singer. Most of you know that. They fly the flag at half mass and the angels weep in heaven when I try to sing. But I love to sing. I don't mind doing it. Uh, and sometimes my wife gives me one of them looks, you know, if I'm off tune. I've told you before. And so, but I try to sing. I want to sing during the day as well as the night. Don't want to sing just in church. There's something about singing that does therapy to your soul. And uh, God help us when they, Jesus was making his ascension, not his ascension, but his uh, journey into, into Jerusalem. And they were all excited about the Messiah coming. And they said, Hosanna to the King. Hosanna to the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible says they cried. And sometimes that word can be translated shouted. They shouted because the Lord was coming to town. That same crowd a few months or a few weeks a day after that, a few days after that, would cry, crucify him, crucify him, and put him on a cross. But on that particular occasion there, Hosanna, Hosanna, they sang unto the Lord. And God wants us to be a singing people. Uh, everybody can sing. How many of you think you cannot sing? You think you cannot sing? Raise your hand. You just lied. Because God said you could. Now, how many of us raise your hand and say we can't carry a tune? But I'll tell you what God does. He can sort of unravel it when he gets up there. He has a way. Remember the prisoners in jail at midnight hour? And they sang praises unto the Lord at the midnight hour. 
And it shook the presence. God tuned his ear and God said, Amen. He said, Amen so loud that the foundations of the prison shook and the doors swung open and those apostles that day could have walked out free if they wanted to. The Philippian jailer was afraid that he was going to be killed because of the fact that the men were going to escape jail. And they said, Do thyself no harm. We're still here. But when God says, Amen, it's pretty loud. And they heard it around the jailhouse. And they probably heard it at various places when God sends an earthquake to say amen. He means business. He wants us to say amen. He wants us to say praise the Lord. He wants us to say hallelujah. You may do it privately. You may do it publicly, but you ought to do it. You ought to get in the mood. I need to get in the mood better of singing praises unto the Lord. And when you begin to read the accounts of the Word of God, you find the fact that many times there was singing and shouting in His presence. Now, here's a story. It's wrapped up in one verse, John 3, 16. One of the greatest verses in all the Bible. It's called the world's greatest text. The world's greatest text. An ocean of thought in a drop of language. 25 words make up that psalm, or that song, uh, John 3, 16. And someone said that 25 stands for twice the grace of God. Five stands for grace in the Bible. Two before that, two times grace. Five, is, five times five is 25. And begin to grace this world. The Bible says he came into his own, his own received him not, but as many as did receive him. To them gave you power to become the sons of God. And I'm glad that he did. And I'm glad that Jesus is wrapped in flesh and said that we may know grace and truth. We begin noticing two words. I noticed last week I preached on the word so. He's so big, so great, I could not describe it. I left the pulpit undefined, uh, unable, incapable of describing the love of God. And I don't think anybody can. It's beyond my comprehension. It's beyond your comprehension. Nobody can describe the love of God. But I want to go back to the phrase, the God of heaven, the God of earth. For God, he's the God of heaven and he's the God of earth. And that song is sung in both places, on he in heaven and in earth. And I want to amplify that for just a little bit this morning, the Lord willing, if God be a helper. We begin by notice these two words, for God. Look at your Bible. For God. For God. For God. First of all, we see the person of God defended in this passage. He does not try to prove his existence. He does not try to give some kind of exegetical diagram of how he is God and who all the details are behind that and how it come to pass. He just declared for God. When he made this world in the dawn of creation, he said in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. He didn't come out and try to explain it. He just stepped out on nothing and said, let it be. And it was. That's the God we have, the God of creation. I just completed my reading of the Bible for this year through the book of Revelation, what I enjoyed that so much this year reading. And I went back to start in Genesis already. And I was just amazed when I read chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Genesis, how great it is about our Creator. And as the Bible says, in the beginning, God. Now, if I was God, I'd try to explain a lot of things. I try to explain to you why I am God, who I am, and all the details. He just steps out on nothing and says, here I am. I am the great I am, they said in Moses' day. Who are you? He said, I am the I am. I'm the great I am. And there's nobody greater than me. Nobody, nobody ever surpassed me. I am the great I am. And take the word I am and put anything you want to after it. I am the bread of life. I'm the water of life. Uh, I'm the tree. Of, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the shepherd. I'm everything that you need is wrapped up in that one little phrase, I am. And you fill in the rest of it. He does not try to prove the existence of God, but proclaims God's existence. He is. It's a foolish rejection of God's existence when you try to disprove Him. The Bible says in Psalms 14.1 that the fool has said in his heart there is no God. There was an atheist trying to explain to another guy why he didn't like the holidays we have. As a matter of fact, he said, you Christians have all the holidays. 
I mean, you have Christmas, you have Easter, and all those holidays you celebrate, and says the atheists don't have one. Oh, he said, oh, that's not right. You've got one. It's called April Fool's Day. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and the Bible tells us that if a man doesn't believe in God, he's a fool. Amen. I didn't say that. God said it. Amen. And the people around you say, well, you can't call me a fool. I didn't call you a fool. God did, and God's the creator. I don't believe in God. It don't matter what you believe, what I believe. We've got to line up Amen. with what thus says the Word of God. Russian astronaut, German Titoi, after he was returned from space years ago, he said these words. This is an atheist, a guy from Russia. Some people say there is a God out there, but in all my travels out in space, around the earth all day long, I looked, I didn't see him, I saw no God or angels. And the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And when you try to explain the, 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 the description of God, explain God in his totality, it's a foolish rejection of God's existence. You'd be a crazy man before you, you can lose your own mind trying to disprove him. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show his handiwork. Thank God that God displays his beauty, his glory, his greatness in every day that we live. Try to explain why you don't believe in God. I read this illustration. I want to give it to you. The man says, my mind refuses to believe in what, what that, that, excuse me, my mind refuses to believe in what, whom no one has ever seen. I've never seen God. No one has ever seen God, thus there must not be a God. I've never seen God. I'm 77 years old. I've never seen God. So I can't prove there is a God. My job is not to try to prove there is a God, just declare there is a God. But the Quaker said, let me get this right now. Has I ever seen Paris, France? He says, well, I've never been to Paris, but the others have been there, and that allows me to believe what they say that's a place. He said, all right, Paris, France, the Quaker said. Oh, I see. I think I'm beginning to understand thy reasoning. Then the Quaker asked him, has thou ever seen my brains? Well, he said, well, no. Has thou ever met anybody that has seen thy brains? He said, well, no. The deduction is you have no brains. That's pretty good reasoning, isn't it? If you just line up with the Word of God, you'll find things go a lot better in life. We all need God, and this world is searching. I was thinking about it yesterday. Folks search here and there to try to find happiness around this holiday season and Christmas time. They try to have merriment. They try to sometimes manufacture it. Sometimes they do it with booze. Sometimes they do it with marijuana. Sometimes they do it with dope. Sometimes they do it with dance. Sometimes they do it with music, and they go to all the parties, and I'm having a real good time. But after that over, that little high that you get from that, you back down to reality, you're right back where you always are. Because I believe in the heart of every man, there is a vacuum. And in that vacuum... God wants to dwell. He made us in the image of God. In the beginning, God made us from the dust of the earth and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And I'm glad that it did. But the fact is, he wants every individual who sinned against God since Adam to have a relationship with him. We've said it many times around here, and I hope everybody gets a hold of it. We do not believe in religion. We believe in relationship. My God is my heavenly father. My God is my savior. My God is the shepherd. My God is all that I need. And you quit searching around the world trying to find happiness. You can find it at the foot of the cross. And I'm glad you can. And so many times in our lives we try to search for happiness. We try to make things happen. We try to be happy. Be happy. Let's all be happy. I don't want to count to three. Let's all be happy. All be happy. One, two, three. That wasn't very good. Let's all be happy. One, two, three. Oh, sounds, that's still it's off, it's, that really off tune. I know God can exp take our expressions and use them for His glory 
and know what you're trying to say. But sometimes we just try to be happy. You know, God never told us to be happy. When you say, preacher, I think everybody ought to be happy. God never told you to be happy. He said, blessed are these that do this. In the Sermon on the Mountain, on the Beatitudes, if you want to have a good attitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He didn't say be happy. He said, you do these things, and the result will be happiness. And happiness is a byproduct of doing what you know how to do. I think you can sing the song, I'm happy, I'm happy because I'm free. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm glad my name is in the book of life. I'm happy today, and mean it down deep in your heart. But that's a result. It's not what you seek after. It's the result of having what you have, and that's the Lord Jesus as a Savior in your life. There are factual revelations of God's existence. They say 93% of all people believe there's a God. That may have many concepts of who that is. Evolution is one of the biggest lies ever told. Fifty million years ago, in the development of the primates, three main lines emerged. There was the prosemians, there was the new world monkeys, and the old world monkeys. Everybody getting this? You talk about this at home today, over meal. The old world monkeys split off from the old world monkeys and gave us our hominoid group from which the humans evolved between five and eight million years ago. For years, man's been trying to make a monkey out of himself. Once I was a tadpole beginning to begin, and then I was a frog with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey hanging from a tree, and now I'm a professor with a PhD. One of the four, they say only one of the 40th power, 10 followed by 40 zeros in math, there's about as much chance of evolution being true as a hurricane going through a junkyard and building a Boeing 747. It takes more faith for me to believe in evolution than it does to believe in God. Somewhere, sometime, someplace out there, nobody knows where this explosion happened and what we have is all we got today. I hope I did that with dignity. Wow, how sad it is that we want to believe in man's theology. I believe God's theology and theology is the study of God and recognizing God is the supreme creator, the supreme being, the almighty, everlasting father. That's what he was called in his prophecy about his birth. He is the everlasting father, the almighty God, and I'm glad that he is and we can trust him. So the creation of man is important. The conversion of man is important. No man explains miracles like the new, nobody can explain a miracle like the new birth. Somebody says, I don't, I've never seen a miracle. Watch this. Tommy, stand up. Sit down. That was a miracle right there. There's a miracle the day you got saved. I heard your testimony a th maybe a thousand times over these many years. How he got saved. How, well, his favorite verse of scripture, I can quote it for him in Romans 10. But that was a miracle. We talked about it yesterday. Tommy Marlowe was changed by the grace of Almighty God. Whether well, you and Dan, if you were saved by the grace of God, you're in miracles. It takes a miracle sometimes for the God to maybe put the stars in the sky and the moon and sun. The greatest miracle of all is when God reaches down and does a miracle of salvation in a man's heart and life. May God help us to realize the greatest miracle is when a person's saved by the grace of God. I can't explain it. I'm just going to enjoy it. Amen. Yeah.
that the holy God of heaven, the creator, the sustainer of my life, the great almighty God, our heavenly father, comes to dwell in this human flesh of mine. And as a little bitty baby he was in Mary's womb, he dwells in my soul in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm glad he dwells in my body. I'm glad he dwells in the tabernacle called the temple of man, which is our body. And everywhere we go, we walk with him and talk with him. It makes a tremendous difference. So the person of God is established in John 3.16. Martin Luther called it the little Bible within the Bible. He said it's the greatest text in all the world. So said Martin Luther. And I believe it's the greatest text in all the world. Without it, when I was in Bible college, I had to preach a sermon. And so everybody chose their own sermon and they, they had to develop it and put it in paper and then preach before the student body was before the class, about 50 people in there. And then they was put on camera. And then the next week we had to go back in the room by ourselves with the teacher and he diagnosed our, our mannerisms, how we acted. And he went over the sermon that I just preached in the classroom. Well, that was, awful. that was awful. That was terrible. I mean, to have him sitting there with you looking on a camera every time you made a mistake, every time a, you, know, you had a flaw in your, your, your mechanism and doing like I'm doing today, sort of stuttering around. I didn't do that then, but I've done it recent days. But he said, that, but the guy that followed me in class, I preached John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one begotten son. The next guy who got up had also chosen John 3.16. Dan Patrick. You know Dan? Dan's been here, preached several times. Great preacher, great man of God. He got up and says, well, Brother James, he, he preached on John 3.16. He introduced the message. I'm going to complete it for him. Okay. <laughs> and so he did. He preached a great sermon on John 3.16. You can't exhaust it. You can't exhaust it. I forget the preacher's name, who it was, but D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody preached 12 sermons on the love of God. One of the great things that changed his life was the love of God. He just saw it in reality, not just the damnation of God, not just the judgment of God. God came out in the world to condemn the righteous or condemn the unrighteous, but to save them. God did not come to condemn folks and judge them. They've already judged. He came to save them, and whosoever will can be saved by the marvelous grace of Almighty God. The presence of God is declared in this passage. We see God's interest in us. He's in heaven. He has a throne in heaven, and the earth is his footstool. And God has chosen to have interest in us. Those who believe God created the world and then divorced himself. If you read theology, God made everything, and he says, that's all right, I'm not going to do any more. They call it theistic evolution. Well, theistic evolution believed that God made things as he did, and then he left it to itself. Nothing could be farther from the truth. God has his eye on this world and this population of 8 billion people today. He knows everybody by name. He knows everybody by address. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And Brian, he knows the ones that used to be there. He knows everything about us. You know that? I'm glad he, I'm glad he knows me. And I'm glad he wants to save the entire world. God knows everything there is that's going on in the world. How many times have we said this? I mean, I've said it. You've said it. God never says, uh-oh. I never thought about that. Well, where was God when my son died of a tragedy? Same place he was when his son died. Why doesn't God love me? He loves you so much. He was proven on Calvary when he bankrupted heaven and sent the only son he had, the only begotten, not the forgotten son, but the only begotten son of God came, Jesus Christ, wrapped in human flesh, who was God in flesh. But he sent his son to die on the cross of Calvary. And because of that great love, if you want to find out how much God loves you, just get on your knees and look back in history. And walk up Calvary's hill and Golgotha's mountain and see hanging on the cross the Lord Jesus Christ. I saw a little bit of a documentary last night. Uh, what I saw was good. I'm not sure about the rest of the film, so I, didn't, I can't recommend it. But they were showing Jesus 
something I've never seen before. Brandon, Brandon talked about something he's never seen before in the Christmas story. I've never seen this in the, in, the, in the movies or the films or the plays as it relates to his death. So they had him when he got arrested and got, sort of got beaten and so forth. Brought him down the Via Della Rosa, which was the cobble streets of Jerusalem. And then they, the, the weight was getting so heavy they compiled Simeon to help carry the cross. And boy, they were, they were spitting at him and mocking him. He was going up the hill, weak and frail in body, but he was going to go because he always goes far enough to do what needs to be done. He didn't quit. He went all the way to Calvary's Mountain. And so when they nailed him into the cross and they showed that and there for a while and then the women crying and the crowd was all in confusion and the Roman soldiers didn't know what to do altogether. But there between two thieves, Jesus Christ hung his pulseless chest. He cried, it's finished, and he did. Just a few moments or an hour after that, here comes somebody to take the body down. Never seen that before. They pulled those nails out of his hands on both sides like that and pulled them out. And they went down to his feet and they pulled that out. And they tenderly took him in their arms with a in a piece of cloth and they wrapped it around both sides and they grabbed a hold of that, the two men that were carrying the cross, if they, the body, if there's only two. But anyhow, those two men, if maybe more, but at least two, they tenderly wrapped the body in linen and held it so they wouldn't get blood all over their fans. It wouldn't have mattered, I don't suppose, but they would want to respect the dead. And they tenderly took Jesus down the cross. They wrapped him in that linen cloth and they took him away to be buried. I've never seen that in a Crucifixions, where they may be, may be there. I've just never seen one like that. It just sort of caught my attention. I, I sat and watched that until they took him to the tomb, and then just a few scenes later, he stood up. He sat up in the tomb. He'd been laying on a stone pillar. He, he sat up. He reached and took the linen cloth away from his face that around his body and tenderly folded and put it there beside him. Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah. He arose from the dead. And sometimes can't get a holy grunt out of us, you know what I mean? Holy God. Holy man. Completely God, completely man. Dying in our stead, raising from the dead. And you complete the whole story from the cradle uh, to the tomb and the aftermath of the resurrection. I'm glad Jesus is present in our lives. He's interested in us. Going through all of that, he, he wants to be involved in this world's affairs. And I'm glad he is. He occupies heaven, but is occupied with earth. He occupies heaven. He has a throne there, but he's also occupied with earth at the same time. I have a sermon I preached years ago. It's been a long time about uh, the, how much you care about souls being saved. And you, we pull the bell, we pull the rope that rings the bell in heaven. If somebody gets saved this morning, is it interesting to you? Preacher, I've got things to do and I've got to get out of here right quickly. You may have and that's fine if, if, if duty binds you to pray for you to leave. But if somebody gets saved, this is a great miracle taking place in their life. And what we're doing, we're, we're pulling the rope that rings the bell in heaven. And the Bible says the rejoicing in the presence of the angels over a sinner that repenteth more than over a man that repents already. Over a sinner that repenteth. The whole do not need a physician, but they that are not whole. And when it makes heaven's newscast and begin to shout and sing, I don't know how that's done. The angels may not understand it, but I'll tell you who does understand it. My daddy understands it. Amen. He's 57 years old when he died, preached since he was 13 years of age. 
my daddy believed the Bible and believed the Word of God. He was an old mountain preacher. I can see my oftentimes I walk down Memory's Trail and remember my dad when he preached and I traveled with him. My daddy talked about getting saved at the age of 13, started preaching when he was 13 years of age, lived to be 57 years old and died in the battle, and I'm grateful for that. But my, so I believe he's in heaven. I believe he's rejoicing. And probably when they got there, maybe my mama, when she joined at age 88, several years later, mama sung her way into heaven as she was dying and singing those old songs like, when, when the road was caught up yonder, I'll be there. When mother got there and dad got there, I think they've probably been rejoicing. I think they're rejoicing over when they both got saved by somebody in heaven. The saints that's gone on before, the great witnesses that are inhabiting the, the whole affair, and maybe they shout a while. Nothing wrong with that, and all God's people say. And if you get happy in the Lord, there's nothing wrong with saying hey, hallelujah. Amen. I don't want you speaking in tongues, but just speak with the right tongue you got right here, okay? Because it makes all the difference that you magnify the Lord with that which you have, not with that you don't have. Do it with what you have. Not only love when sent not only loved ones, but he sent his son. Not only loves us, but he sent his son. You may wonder where God is. Well, the Bible says he's with us. I said in the bulletin, God was willing to come down and identify with us. Then he was willing to come and live in us. And then one day he's coming for us. I'm glad for that. It's a wonderful thought to know that God loves us so much. The last point, the purpose of our God that's disclosed in John 3.16. To deliver the fallen race from the sins they have. His name shall be called Jesus, Matthew 1.21. For he shall call, save his people from their sins. Jesus saves his people from their sins. Call his name Emmanuel. Call his name Jesus, which is his human name. Call him Christ, which is anointed Messiah. Call him Lord. He's the master of your life. Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever and whatever you call him by name, the great purpose is to save sinners. He come to seek to save that which was lost in Luke 19.10. May God help us to realize that. You know God can save everybody. I jotted down the fact that he, he, can, he can affect all seven continents. The Antarctic, the Asian, North America, Europe, South America, Africa, and Australia. And they call one now Oceania. Somewhere along the way, they've sort of mixed that in there with the great continents of the world. The Antarctic, anybody can be saved in the Antarctic. How many has been in the Antarctic? Nobody. God has. How many has been to Asia? Anybody? I've been there a couple of times, in parts of Asia. North America. How many has been in North America? I would remind you, God's been in North America. How about Europe? Several of you have been to Europe. God's been there too. He's been to Africa. Have you been to Africa? Nobody's been to Africa. God's been there too. Oh, some of the greatest saints of God have come out of Africa. Some of the greatest missionaries have gone into Africa. And Australia. I think I mentioned Australia a while ago. But the fact is, God can save black people in Africa. He can save white people in Europe and America. God can save tall people God can save short people. God can save skinny people. And hallelujah, God can save fat people. And the Bible says he's not a respecter of anybody. He loves us all. Brad, he loves you with all the shenanigans you went through in your life. He still loves you. Michael, all you've been through. I've seen you at your good day. I've seen you at your bad day, right? God still loves you. You know, I've not gone down the same path these guys have in the past. 
God saw me and I'm just as bad as they are in the eyes of God because nobody's righteous, no, not one. Our righteousness, that's filthy rags, is not worthy of any praise or any adoration. My good works will not save me. Only the marvelous grace of Almighty God will do that. And I'm glad that God takes notice of America and He takes notice of Europe. He takes notice of North America, South America, and all the seven continents and all the kind of people. I'm glad for the people, black people, white people, yellow people, skinny people, fat people, tall people, short people. If you don't have any other description of it, He saves you too, if you're in Him. Deliver fallen race from the sins they have. Great purpose is to save sinners. I read a story this week. said this, the early days of Ohio. It was wild and untamed land. A couple built a house. One day, the little girl, she was two years old, she toddled out into the wilderness. Her parents hunted for years, raised by Indians. In Wisconsin now, for 14 years, they lived with a heavy heart. Indians showed up one day at the trading post with a little girl, a teenage girl, but she was not Indian. Parents recognized who she was. It was their daughter. But she would have nothing to do with them because she was raised by Indians and she didn't realize this was her mother because she's just a toddler when she was captured. The mama began to cry and then the mama began to sing. Maybe she sung, I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. How he left his home in glory for the cross of Calvary. Yes, I'll sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. Singing with the saints in glory gathered by the crystal sea. I don't know if she sung that song or not. Maybe she sung Amazing Grace. A lot of those folks were real sentimental and real religious in the early days of this country. Maybe she sung Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm blind. But, found, but now I'm blind, but now I see. Amazing Grace, how sweet the song. When she started singing, the little girl recognized it. Because mamas have a tendency sometimes to sing to the children when they're real little and rocking my baby in the cradle and on, their, on their shoulder as they pat him on the back. And they begin to sing songs to him. The little girl, for the first time in all those many years, recognized it was somebody she knew. And she ran and took the body of her mother, and her mother embraced her. And all because of the fact she recognized the voice of her mother. I close. The voice of God comes by the power of the Holy Spirit as He speaks to the inner man, the inner woman. Preacher, how do you know God's speaking to me? He'll say something like this. Not out loud necessarily. I've never heard, I've never heard God speak out loud to me. But God speaks on the inside. He says, you ought to go forward. This is your day of salvation. God's been speaking to you. I've been speaking to you. I love you. That's called conviction. When it begins to run through your mind and in your heart, I've seen people literally grip pews while they was in an auditorium because they knew they was dying going to hell. They wanted to be saved, but their pride kept them from it, so they stayed back. Tears may come down their eyes, and they want to go, but they just don't have enough courage. And if Jesus was here, He'd put the nail-scarred hand right down the middle aisle, right down the left aisles, and down the right aisles, and say, Come, come unto Me. All you that labor heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly, and my burdens are light. Come unto me. Come and dine. Come and dine. You can find peace and rest anytime in Christ Jesus. If you're here today and you're unsaved, why don't you make this day? I guarantee you, if you come to the altar, somebody pray with you. They're not going to try to tell you what to say. They'll just be there to pray with you. Show you if you need help. If you're backslid away from God, it's a good time just to renew your vows to God on this Sunday morning.
God is interested in both heaven and earth. For God is the, is the God I'm talking about. The wonderful, wonderful God of heaven and the wonderful God who oversees the affairs of man. Even though the devil is loose and running here and there and to and fro, I'm glad that God still is in control. What's going to happen in the Middle East, preacher? It's all in the prophetic hand of God. When's it going to come to an end? It's all in the hand of the prophetic God. And it could be today that the rapture could occur and the saints of God go home while the tribulation sits in for seven years. It could be today. If not today, it could be tomorrow. We should be looking for Him. He's coming. He's coming. Let's stand together, please. Our heads are bowed.